Let's turn this morning to Luke chapter 11. We'll begin reading at verse 14. Read through verse 32 and focus our attention on verse 28. Luke chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 14. And he, that's Jesus, was casting out a devil, and it was dumb, couldn't speak. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall, this ki- how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth it, divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished, Then goeth he, and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps that, that which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God, and keep it. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, but there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So far we read God's holy, inspired word. Now verse 28. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. With a new knee and lots of physical therapy, I'm able to stand more. 
which I will do until my leg says it's time to sit down. This Tuesday, October 31, is Reformation Day. It was on this day in the year 1517 that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the church, castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, challenging a debate on the sale of indulgences. By purchasing indulgences, the faithful in the church were supposedly able to lighten and shorten the suffering of their loved ones in purgatory. It was a symptom of all that was wrong in the church at that time. The church had over the centuries abandoned the gospel of grace that salvation is God's free gift in Jesus Christ to all that believe. In the place of that gospel, the church taught that salvation must be earned by us. Christ hasn't done enough. We must add our own good works to what Jesus has done. And with the purchase of indulgences, supposedly, one could buy the salvation of loved ones. The whole idea was that if you didn't do enough good in this life, well, then you went to purgatory to suffer and to be cleansed. But if you would pay money, buy indulgences, and the money went to build the St. Peter's Basilica, which stands to this day, if you paid money for indulgences, that would shorten the time of the suffering of your loved one. Martin Luther challenged this practice in these 95 theses, and he challenged anyone to a debate, and that sparked the great reformation in the church. By the way, young people, children, reformation means a church that's formed over again, reformed. The church was reformed at that time. And through the leadership of men like Luther and Calvin and John Knox and other men of God, the church rediscovered the gospel as set forth earlier by the church and even were able to develop out of Scripture this doctrine more completely. And that resulted in the establishment of churches throughout Europe that were faithful to the Word of God. And we, we today, are children of that Reformation. Sadly, many children of the Reformation have forsaken their heritage. They and their churches are not keeping the doctrines and the practices of the Word of God rediscovered in the Reformation. They have abandoned them for the doctrines of men and the sinful practices of the world. We must be careful not to follow that sad example, but must maintain our Reformed Reformation heritage. To that end, I call your attention this morning to the words of Jesus in Luke 11, verse 28. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. In the context, we find that Jesus was casting out a devil. 
And some charge that he cast out devils in the name of Beelzebub, the chief of devils. Jesus responded, if that's correct, then Satan would be working against himself and his own kingdom to destroy it. The very fact that the devils, the minions of Satan himself, the chief enemy of God, were being expelled by him proved that he came in the power of God and the finger of God was working through him. One dear soul, a woman in the audience, responded positively, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps or the breasts which thou hast sucked. And what she said was true. You recall that when the Virgin Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was not six months pregnant with John, as soon as Mary came into the house, John leaped in her womb. And by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy work. Womb. What she said was correct, but it was incomplete. And so in the passage before us, Jesus shows who are even more blessed than Mary, and that is those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's what we must do. Hear the word of God and hear it. By so doing, we will keep our Reformation heritage, and according to the word of God here, we shall be richly blessed, more so than even Mary, who gave birth to Jesus Christ. I call your attention to this passage under the theme, The Blessedness of Hearing and Keeping the Word of God. And there's three ideas in that phrase. The Word of God. Secondly, the hearing and keeping of that word. And finally, the blessedness of hearing and keeping. The phrase, Word of God here, refers, first of all, to the word that God speaks. There's different words in the original, and this emphasizes especially a word spoken. When God speaks, he always speaks through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief prophet of God to the church. John opens his gospel with this. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the eternal Word. And that emphasizes that it's through him that God reveals himself and speaks to us. Jesus is our chief prophet. And Jesus is the chief prophet of God because he is the eternal son of God. John 1 verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father. He hath 
declared him. And then Matthew 11:27, Jesus said, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. It's through the Son of God come into our flesh that God speaks. He did that, first of all, in the Old Testament, even before Jesus was born. The eternal Son of God, destined to be our mediator, spoke through the prophets of old. Then he came down into our flesh, and during his short ministry of three and a half years, he spoke as the prophets had never been able to speak before. And then even after he was taken up, he continued to speak and finish the word of God through the apostles. And he still speaks the word of God today, but in a different manner than what we've just described. God is not saying new things anymore, as he did through the prophets and Jesus' ministry and the apostles. But what he has done is he has, by the inspiration of the Spirit, led holy men of God faithfully and accurately and errantly to record all the speech of God throughout the Old and New Testaments in the Scriptures. Here you have the perfect record of the spoken Word of God. And when this Word is faithfully preached by the church through the office of the ministry, God is still speaking through Christ, through the mouth of the faithful minister of God. What is this word that God speaks through Jesus Christ? That word is, first of all, not a word about us, although it includes that. It is, first of all, a word about himself. He reveals in this word who he is, the eternal God, sovereign. He, rever- review- he re- reveals his great virtues. He speaks of his work of creation. He speaks of the word of rule, where he controls all things that take place. But above all, he speaks about the salvation he provides freely for his people in Jesus Christ. And in that connection, he speaks about us and to us. He tells us about our creation, how we were originally made in his image, in Adam. He speaks of our fall and our sin and our guilt and the judgment that properly comes upon our sin. He shows us that of ourselves we're hopelessly lost. He speaks of the salvation that he provides in Jesus Christ, full and free, and how to obtain that salvation by faith alone. He speaks to us about how we are to live that salvation in marriage, in the home, in the community, in the church. And he also speaks of the hope that his people should have about future blessing and eternity. Now, God has not revealed everything there is to know about him. That's because he's infinite. He is incomprehensible. 
When we get to heaven, we're going to learn more about God than what we know today. And through the eternity of heaven, there will always be new things to learn, but it will never be exhausted because God is infinite. But he has revealed to us today, through the word, all that we need to know for our salvation. And that word has been set forth and summarized in our creeds. The church from the very beginning understood that there had to be creeds that set forth concisely the main teachings of the Word of God concerning salvation. The church found herself in the community of unbelieving, hateful Jews, and more abundantly, pagans, Gentiles, who are idolaters. And so she set forth to write creeds which means I believe, and set forth succinctly the main teachings of the Word of God. Of great importance was the Apostles' Creed, not written by the Apostles, but written by the church over a period of, uh, of centuries, the last phrase in the year 600, in which the church set forth very concisely the Word of God's teaching about Creation, salvation, forgiveness, and their eternal hope. And then more creeds came because there was controversy about the Trinity. Who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So there was the Creed of Nicaea and the Athanasian Creed. And then more followed to settle who is Jesus, God and man. But they were brief, concise. And that's what the church did originally. And then came the Reformation, when the church was called back and brought back to the scriptures, and more creeds had to be developed, setting forth truth over against errors that had developed, setting forth truth as the Reformers were led by the Spirit to develop its understanding more. And there was the Westminster in Scotland, under John Knox, our creeds, Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort. What place do these have in the church? They're not scripture, but they are faithful explanations of the main teachings of the Word of God. There you will find the Word of God summarized. Now let's talk about the hearing and the keeping of God's word, the second point. When Jesus speaks about the hearing of the word, it's in the present tense, suggesting an ongoing hearing of the word. It speaks of one who is interested in the word of God, who receives it positively, who embraces it by faith, and therefore is present as much as possible, whenever and wherever the Word of God is spoken. He's there in church, faithfully, as much as possible, when the Word of God is set forth. 
The word is spoken in his home through family worship. They gather, the family does regularly to read and if possible to discuss the word and to sing the songs of Zion about the word. Because he loves the word, he's when the communion of the saints gathers with his fellow believers to discuss the word of God, whether in formal situations or informal. He's hearing. He has an insatiable thirst and hunger for the word of God. Now that's not true, is it? Of all in the church, and certainly not in the unbelieving community. All too often, people of the church put the word of God on a lower priority than what it deserves. It's on the back burner of the stove of their life. Other things have pushed themselves forward that have sort of crowded out the word of God. Sometimes indifference grows. These are the people you don't see always in church. They're hit and miss. Maybe once a a Sunday, maybe. There's no worship of God in their home, very little. They're not part of the communion of the saints when the word of God is spoken. They're sort of on the peripheral of the church, in the life of the church. And you know what happens? Whatever you do with your children and family, your children will follow you to the third and fourth generation. We're living with the sad, sad reality that many churches that were once vibrant, as we are, are closing up, disbanding. Their young people, their young families are gone. You know what's happened? The older generation didn't give the word of God its priority. And where the children, the fathers walk, the children always run. And pretty soon in a few generations, they're gone. That's happens. That's happened. What you do with the word of God today has implications for the third and fourth generation of your family. Jesus speaks about those who are hearing the word of God. They're hungry to hear and know the word of God. But he also speaks of those who keep the word. Now, usually when we speak of keeping, we mean observing or obeying, like keep the law. But that's not the meaning of the word here. The word of, uh, the, to keep the word of God is to guard it safely in one's heart so that it is kept as a precious treasure that no one can take from you. That's the idea. The word of God is truly a treasure. It shows us the way of salvation. It shows us the key of life with God and all that is good for time and eternity. What a treasure. And the devil would take it from us, steal it from us and replace it with the empty and false philosophy of mankind. And here are some ways that he does it, and let's be aware of this. First of all, he does this by deception. 
craftily twisting the scriptures. For example, he pours into the beautiful terms of scripture new and false meaning. There is a book out by N.T. Wright, W-A-R-I-G-H-T, from the Anglican Church in England, who redefines justification that has no semblance of what the scriptures say of justification. Justification awaits the end of time when it's acknowledged by God you belong to the church community. That's it. He took the heart out of the doctrine. Election. No matter who you are, if you're going to be at all dealing with Scripture, you've got to deal with that because it's throughout Scripture. And new meaning has been poured into that too, all the way from the time of Arminius. Election is not the sovereign choice of God according to his free will and goodwill to choose some unto salvation, but it's God simply acknowledging, oh, these I can see will believe and be faithful, so I'll choose them. And then, leaving the terms of Scripture, theological terms are twisted and new content is poured in. People talk about total depravity. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, we're told often total depravity means that the totality, every part of the human nature is depraved. Total. But not so bad that you can't produce good. Instead of, we're completely completely given over to sin. Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we've had to come up with a new phrase, absolute depravity. The infallibility of Scripture has been twisted. New content has been poured into that. Infallibility means impossible of error, of failure. Well, we're told that's true of the, of, of the gospel message. There's a message of salvation, but there's many, many things in the Scriptures that don't pertain here. And so if you want to know whether someone really believes in infallibility, you ask them, how about inerrancy? Well, well, no, no, it's not inerrant. This is the work of the devil. Then there is a term I like to use, eisegesics, eisegesics. We were told in seminary we must exegete. Take scripture and pull out the meaning and bring it to the congregation. Today, what you find in many pulpits is eisegesis. You have an idea, often ideas formed by the latest trends of society, and you read those into a passage. You know, if you want to take a passage out of context, you can read many things into there that it doesn't say. And that's what's being done today. And the devil is behind it. Secondly, in addition to twisting the meaning of Scripture, Satan appeals to the pride and lusts of our sinful nature, which despises the word. He did that originally with Eve. Eve, see this beautiful fruit? Has the Lord said, you may eat of it? Oh, the Lord's been lying to you. He knows that if you eat of it, you're going to be like him. You're going to become a god. Oh, that appealed to Eve and her pride that had already been developing in her heart. And she was deceived. 
and many false doctrines and teachings that have come forth in the history of the church also appeal to our pride. Justification. We don't have to depend completely on Jesus' sacrifice. We add to that. It's partly us. That appeals to pride. The social gospel, which has taken hold of many churches, we're, we're going to make a heaven here on earth. Thirdly, the devil likes to take away the gospel from us by distracting us with the pleasures and the treasures of this world. So there's no time, no time at all for the Bible. You know, I look back to when I was young. I act like an old man. I'm not old. But I go back 70-some years. That's not bad. But I remember in my youth, life was less complicated. And there was time for family life. And there was time for the scriptures. In our society today, there's such a rush to do everything, so many things flooding in on us that there's hardly any time for the scriptures. Hardly time to go to church. No time for family worship. And we're being distracted away from the word. And then finally, the devil will, in desperation, persecute the church that holds true to the gospel and to the word of God. Those that hear the word do so because they see it as a great treasure, and therefore they guard against these kinds of things, so lest they lose it in their family and their generations. And how does one effectively keep or guard the word of God? First of all, we grow in the knowledge of God's word set forth in scripture. The principle is set forth in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. If our knowledge of the scriptures is very shallow, scanty, we are ripe pickings for the devil. We're low-lying fruit to be snatched away. If you want to guard the gospel and the word that you hear, then you have to grow in its understanding. Grow in the knowledge of God's word. Seek the word, preaching of the word. Be in the house of God where the word of God is preached so that you may grow in knowledge. Study the word constantly in your home. Do that also in connection with others. You can't grow in the Word of God all by yourself. We need each other to discuss it, to learn from each other, to teach one another. And then, along with that, we must evaluate all new ideas according to the standard of Scripture. I'm reminded of the Bereans that Paul and Silas and others confronted 
in the second missionary journey. As Paul's practice was always, he went to the Jewish synagogue first, and he showed out of the Old Testament Scripture that Jesus of Nazareth, who was shamefully crucified but arose again, was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. He's the Christ. You know what the Bereans did? Paul says they were more noble than the others, of the other Jews. They searched the scriptures daily with all readiness of mind to evaluate the teachings of Paul. They received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily. This was a synagogue of believers who knew the scriptures of the Old Testament, who knew how to use them, and tested Saul, Paul's word according to them. They knew how to use the scriptures, and they did it together. It wasn't just the chief rabbi who said, hey, Paul is right. They did it together. That's what we must do when we come across all the new and cockeyed and crazy ideas that come from the world and the church world. And then finally, we must know our creeds. The Belgian Confession, the Canons of Dort, the Heidelberg Catechism, they assist us in evaluating every new thing we hear because they are faithful, beautiful summaries of the main teachings of Scripture. And now my leg is saying it's time to sit down. There we go. The church has often failed to keep the Word of God, preserve it safely. The Roman Catholic Church failed to keep the Word of God so that the gospel after a while was no longer heard or desired. The church gradually adopted the error that justification is not all in Christ, but it's partly based upon our works. And to promote and protect this error, the Bible was even taken from the people and regulated in the church to a subordinate role. At the time of the Reformation, the Bible was banned. It's dangerous. It doesn't belong in the hands of the people. That's only for the clergy who have the ordination of the Spirit. But even then, and to this day, the Pope's declarations and the decisions of the church councils have a more important role than the Scriptures. That's where it came to. And this led to further abuses, indulgences. You buy, you buy your loved one's souls out of purgatory, Mariolatry, the worship of Mary. Mary has become more important even than Jesus. You can't, you can't approach Jesus. You can't approach God without going through Mary. They lost the whole gospel. And God brought the Reformation to the church through Luther and Calvin and others. And the result was a turning back to the Word of God and further development and understanding of the truth as they fought 
these errors and they set them forth in our creeds. And the true people of God heard. They heard the word of God. They embraced it. They rejoiced. Like Martin Luther rejoiced when he discovered it's not what I do, it's what Christ has done. It's all by faith. And they kept it. They guarded against it. Even though some went to the stake, they were persecuted. But repeatedly, even those churches have slipped away from the truth as more and more people in their generations fail to hear the word and keep it in their heart as a treasure. And they no longer wanted to hear it again. And so there was another reformation in the Netherlands. The Ofskiding, which means separation. 1834. Van Ralte, Skolta, Van Velzen, and others. Then later on in that century, towards the end of the 1800s, Abraham Kuyper and the Doliancy, a man who was brilliant and was trained in all the liberal theology of the day and, and was brought to open, his eyes were opened by a simple woman who proclaimed to him the truth. And they joined together in the turn of the last century to the Gurufamerikerikan. That's part of our heritage. Most of us in our generations came from that, but even those churches now have slipped away, sadly, slipped away. Let us, let us be church, a church, and churches that hear the word of God and that keeps it. And there we find blessedness. Those who do not hear the word of God and retain it as a treasure that as it is are not blessed. But rather they fall under the judgment of God. Those churches may gain great followings, may be heralded even by the world as great things. But if they haven't kept the word of God and no longer hear it, there's judgment. This was true of Jesus' own generation. There was only a handful, a minority that heard Jesus' word and kept it. The rest rejected him. And when they asked for a sign, Jesus gave them the sign of the prophet Jonah. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And in a parallel gospel, we read that as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in, in, in the in the grave three days and three nights until he rise again. And then he said this, the queen of the south 
shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Remember the queen? Huh, forgot her name. Queen of she uh, from Ethiopia. Came to Solomon, wanted to hear all his wisdom and see all of his treasures. And when she was done, she was, she was overwhelmed. I've never seen so much. The half wasn't told me. And she embraced the word of God. Well, that queen shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. She heard. She embraced. Greater than Solomon is here, and you won't hear me. Then he went on to the men of Nineveh. The men of Nineveh, where Jonah went, shall rise up in the judgment with the generation, this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. They'll rise up in the judgment day to condemn the generation that Jesus lived in. How far away they were. How far back they were into paganism and idolatry, but they heard the word of God. And they'll rise up and condemn the unbelieving generation of Jesus' day. There is only judgment to those who will not hear the word of God. In this life, the judgment will be that God will give them over to the folly of sin and human wisdom. Look at our society today. Look where it's come to. In my lifetime, a decline in outward morality. Every crooked thing is okay, embraced. Divorce and remarriage is rampant. Families are broken up. Children aren't being trained. There's no morality. And now finally, in the judgment of God, this society has fallen into the sin of homosexuality. Not only is it approved, but it's embraced, it's glorified. Paul speaks of those who glory in their shame. That's where we're at. And now there's homosexual marriage and transgenderism. What a folly. What an abomination. This is God's judgment. Does it bring happiness to man? Is that where our society is? There's nothing but grief and sorrow and trouble as man digs deeper and deeper into sin. God's judgment and afterwards the judgment of hell to those who will not hear and keep the word of God. But what great blessing for those that do hear and keep the word of God. Those that hear and keep God's word will by the power of that word come to embrace Jesus Christ by faith and find and live the salvation of God. And in that salvation, they will find true happiness and blessing. There's first of all the joy of knowing God. 
Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, to know God. And that's not just up here intellectually. It means to know him intimately as your friend. As a wife knows her husband. As a child knows his father. That's life. That's joy. That's peace. Found only in hearing and keeping the Word of God. And then there is, in addition to that, the joy of forgiveness and peace with God and the joy of being delivered from the power of sin to serve God. Great blessings come to those who in Jesus Christ faithfully serve God. Not perfectly, of course, but begin to serve God in all their life. These blessings are found in their marriages. Those who are delivered from the power of sin and serve the Lord have marriages that are beautiful in their families, in their generations, as they see God working in the third and fourth generation, bringing salvation. I have that. Been married 54 years, have 32 grandchildren. We got some great grandchildren, I, I lost the count. But what joy to see your generations knowing the Lord, serving Him, taking ownership of the church, of the schools. What great blessings. And then there is the joy of eternal life, of the hope of eternal life. Those blessings far surpass being Mary, the mother of Jesus. God grant that we who are the children of the Reformation continue to hear and keep the word of God. Amen. Father in heaven, thanks be unto thee for thy wonderful word, full of wisdom and love and peace and a great power in our lives. Lord, we flourished in the power of thy word. Give us to hear it and to keep it and to receive its blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.